Before I jump into the word, I want to make just a brief announcement. Um, some of you know, I think my husband's mentioned it a few times, that next year I will be releasing my book, Success from the Inside Out, uh, coming out on January. <laughs> Praise God. It's coming out on January 21st. And um, I had a couple people get on me because they were like, why haven't you been telling people all the things that are going on? Uh, and so I just wanted to make you aware that on January 19th, uh, we're going to be having a book signing at Books A Million here in Gainesville, which I'm really excited about because right after that, I will be heading to New York for uh, my media tour, and then I will be kicking off my book tour. So I'll be going around the country. God has opened up some amazing doors. Um, I'll be going around the country with this message of faith, hope, forgiveness, and redemption. God is truly doing a work through this book, and I'm just so grateful, so grateful for what he's doing. Um, this book is going to be our January book giveaway. I'm going to give this to Sherilyn uh, after this is over. So somebody will get this for free. Uh, but I wanted to also just say thank you for all of your prayers, your support, your encouragement. Um, several members of my book launch team are in here. Woo -woo! Yes! I had to give a special shout out to Jamali because she came, she texted, she uh, messaged me on Instagram. She said, um, when, when, when is church, when is your service? I said, it's at 11. And so she came with her daughter. We just want to say, we we love you. Thank you for coming and being with us today. I'm just so grateful for, for the love and support that you all have shown. I'm going to give this to you to give to Sherilyn because somebody's going to get that in January. Yes. Don't, don't be sneaking and peeking and trying to take it for yourself. So uh, is anybody excited about the word? Listen, y'all, this is... See, here's the thing. So this is the last Sunday of 2019. There are people who started 2019 with us who are not ending 2019 with us. But you are. So can we just take a moment to praise God that you are ending 2019? Yes. Can we just praise God for that? Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. You know, sometimes we take it for granted. We think we're going to see the next day. We make plans for the next week, the next month, the next year. And some of us are not going to end 2020. I'm telling you this now because I don't know what may be me. But what I do know is I plan to live every single day to the glory of God. Because the thing about it is, if I don't see 2021, I will have wanted to live my 37 years of life to the glory of God. Can anybody say that? If you don't see 2021, you want to make sure that you live your life to the glory of God. Well, we are here on the last Sunday of 2019, and in three days, we're going to welcome in a new year. And uh, if you're on social media, you've probably seen people making posts like, you know, 2020 is going to be my year. You know, 2020 is going to be the year that I'm going to achieve amazing things. You know, people have said that 2020 is going to be an amazing year. They just know it, right? Well, there was a study that was done by an organization called the Statistic Brain Research Institute. And what they did is they surveyed a whole bunch of people to try to understand what are the top New Year's resolutions that people make. And I want to I wanna read them to you. I'm going to read them in reverse chronological order. So out of all the people who were surveyed, the 10th highest New Year's resolution is I want to find the love of my life. Number nine is I want to do more good deeds. Number eight is I want to learn something new on my own. 
Seven is I want to work out more often. Six is I want to spend more time with family and close friends. Five is I want to do more exciting things. Four is quit smoking. Three is make better financial decisions. Two is self-improvement. And can you guess what the number one New Year's resolution is that people make? Lose weight. <laughs> Absolutely. How many of you decided that 2020 was going to be the year that you lose weight? 2020, I'm taking off 10, 20, 50 pounds. 2020 is my year to lose weight and get in shape. Go ahead and slip your hand up in the presence of God and let us know who made that resolution. See, some of y'all not even, some of y'all not telling the truth. Y'all know y'all done went out and got yourself a gym membership and you probably ordered an elliptical or a Peloton and you said 2020 is going to be my year. Well, statistics show that many people buy gym memberships at the end of the year. Many people, there's a spike in the number of gym memberships at the end of the year because people are preparing to lose weight the following year. But statistically, 90% of the people who buy a gym membership at the end of the year to lose weight quit going after three weeks. And see, somebody like me, you know, I go to the gym and, you know, the first week it's packed. I mean, it is packed and it's so inconvenient because like, you know, there's all my equipment I want to use. I have my little routine and there's all these random people in there walking around aimlessly, don't know what they're doing. And they're just all just taking up space. But what I know is trouble won't last always <laughs> because a couple weeks later, they gone. So I know, I know just, just Terry. So 90% of people who buy a gym membership at the end of the year quit going after three weeks. Now, 10% of people who set the goal to lose weight actually do, 10%. But only 2% of the people that set out to lose weight actually keep it off. So 98% of the people who set out to lose weight fail. How is it possible that so many people who want to do something so bad fail? Well, um, about seven years ago, right after I, well, right before I had my baby Isaac, um, I got on the scale and I was 276 pounds. And right after I had my son Isaac, I got on the scale and I was about 265 pounds. Now, I had people tell me, oh, after you have your baby, you're going to lose like 20, 30 pounds. No, I basically lost him. Like, literally, I got on the scale after I had him, and I lost the weight of him. That was it. And so here I am, 265 pounds. I had my baby. And for those who, who don't know, I mean, I had been around 220 to 240 pounds for many, many years. I mean, that was kind of like my, my normal weight, 220 to 240. And uh, when my husband met me in college, I was actually about 175 or 180 at the time because I was walking a lot. I, was, I wasn't eating as much because I had class. And so I had... Uh, gotten down to a, a size that wasn't really my normal size, and I didn't do it in a healthy way. It just kind of happened. So 220, 240 pounds, that was my average. So I have my baby, and I'm 265 pounds, and I just felt so unhealthy. I mean, I just felt it. Like, I was tired all the time. Um, I, I, just, I just didn't feel good in my body, and I got to a point where I was just tired of being tired. 
And I was just, I was tired of feeling sick all the time. I was tired of climbing a couple stairs and I felt like I was going to die. Literally, I would climb three stairs and be like, whoo, I need a seat after a few stairs. And I was, I was just, I was tired of that. And like many of you in here, you know, I, I had tried to lose weight in the past. So, you know, I did the fad diets, um, you know, you the Atkins diet, you do all these diets. And I did that and I would lose some weight, but it never stayed off. And so I, I decided, I said, you know what? I'm going to try something that I've never done before. I'm going to actually try to lose weight by eating right and exercising. I decided to do something like that, right? And so I went to the bookstore and I said, you know what? I'm going to actually educate myself on this. I'm going to learn about the science of weight loss. So I went and I got these books uh, and I learned that uh, weight loss is actually 80% what you eat. See, many of us, we get the gym membership because we figure I'm going to go on the gym and I'm going to work hard and I'm going to burn all these calories. I'm going to lose all this weight. And we get on the scale and the scale hasn't moved. It may have even gone up. And we're like, what is the point? See, I did that for many years. So what I would do is I would starve myself and then I would go to the gym and I would work out hard every single day and I would get to the end of the week and I would be exhausted and I would be depleted and I was like, this just ain't working. So I would go get fried chicken and pizza and cookies and, and soda and all the stuff that I liked and I would skip going back to the gym because I wasn't seeing the results immediately. So I read these books, and what they told me is they said, weight loss is actually 80% what you eat. I was like, oh, wow. And it's only 20% exercise. I also found out that at 265 pounds, my body naturally burned on its own 1,900 calories on its own. It's called a resting metabolic rate, all right? So just to have my heart beat, just so I could have my lungs filled with air, just so I could live, my body burned 1,900 calories by itself. Follow me. It burned 1,900 calories by itself, but when I began to track what I was eating, I was eating over 3,000 calories a day. So I was eating 1,100 more calories every day than my body burned, and I wasn't exercising. No wonder I was gaining the weight, right? So I decided, I said, okay, I'm going to try something different. Since my body naturally burned 1,900 calories on its own, I decided to cut my calories down to 1,400. 1,400 calories a day from 3,000. Cut down to 1,400. I then decided to start going to the gym and running on the elliptical 30 minutes a day. That's what I was going to do. I was going to cut my calories, and I was going to run on the elliptical. So did all that. The reason I did that is I learned that in order to lose one pound every week, you have to burn 3,500 more calories than you take in. So I had to create a deficit every day of 500 calories. So I did that automatically by cutting my calories. But when I started to also work out on top of that, I was burning even more. And the reason that mattered is I wanted to lose two pounds a week. And that required burning 7,000 calories. So I did it. I cut my calories, I was going to the gym. At the end of the first month, I had lost 10 pounds. 10 pounds at the end of the first month. By the second month, I lost 20 pounds. And at that point, I decided, you know what? I'm gonna train for a half marathon. Mind you, I was not a runner. I was like, I'm gonna go from zero to running 13 miles. That's what I'm gonna do. 
And the race was six months later. So I registered for this race, and I decided I'm going to train for this race. And the reason I did it, honestly, is when I was driving down the street, I would see people just running. And I was like, what are they running from? Like, I couldn't imagine somebody just going running. Like, why? Get in your car, drive to wherever you're going. I couldn't imagine. But I admired those people. I was like, man, it's really cool to see people out. And they would run looking so happy, just... <laughs> and I was like, how do you do that? So I set a goal of running this half marathon. Now, let me tell you, in order to do all of this, I had to work out five days a week, oftentimes twice a day. Going from not working out at all to working out twice a day in order to train for a half marathon, to run 13 miles for no reason, right? So I start training for this thing, and uh, let me tell you, I did not like getting out of my bed. I did not like getting out of my bed, especially when it was hot and when it was cold. In the summer, I was like, I really don't think I need to run today. Like, I'd just rather stay in my bed. It's too hot. When it was cold outside, 30 degrees, I really don't want to run outside. But I had to learn to master my body. Because if I allowed my body to dictate what I would or would not do, I was not going to be able to achieve my goal. So I had to learn to master my body. Now, let me tell you this. I love my husband. I really love this man. He is, he is amazing. He's an amazing husband. He's an amazing father. He's an amazing pastor. He is all that in a bag of chips and his leather jacket up here looking amazing. But if you're trying to lose weight, he is not the one to be your accountability partner. This man would come home with Gigi's cupcakes for no reason. Oreos for no reason. Hey, babe, you want to go out to your favorite restaurant? No, I really need to eat this healthy choice meal. No, 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 let's go out, let's go out, let's go out. We would go out, he would order the meal that I would normally order and enjoy it. Be like, babe, oh, they got special seasoning on this chicken. This is good. While I'm sitting there eating salad and baked chicken. He was enjoying life. And the thing about him, and ladies, you may understand this. This is why I, I just, men just get on my nerves sometimes. He could be like... I think I want to lose 10 pounds. Stop drinking juice for 10 minutes and the weight is gone. And here I am. I have to starve myself, work out twice a day, train for a half marathon in order to lose 10 pounds a month. And here he go. I'm just going to just cut out some juice. You know, I need to lose a little weight. So he was no help, but he actually was helping me without realizing it. <laughs> because by him doing that, he forced me to build up my will. He would bring in the cupcakes and the cookies and the fried chicken and the Zaxby's and all the stuff I loved. And he would set it up there on the counter. Babe, I just bought some food home, you know, just in case you want it. Babe, you know I cannot eat that. And I had to walk by it, smell it, see it, and then go get my carrots and hummus and call it a day. And what it did is it created within me the ability 
to say no. Just because you give me something doesn't mean I have to take it. Just because my body wants it doesn't mean I have to take it. So I realized willpower. And at the end of 2013, by the end of 2013, I was down 80 pounds. Now here's the thing. By the time I ran my half marathon, I was down 60 pounds. That was the middle of 2013. I was down 60. I was down 80 by the end of 2013. By the first quarter of 2014, I was down 100 pounds. And I have kept it off since then. Now, before you clap, here's the thing. A lot of people have said to me, because they've seen the transition, they've said to me, can you help me? Help me. I want to lose weight. You've done it. Help me. And what I've come to realize in trying to help people, I can give you the formula. I can tell you exactly what I did. I can give you everything. But there's, there's one thing that keeps tripping everybody up. One issue that trips everybody up is this. You can have comfort or you can have progress, but you can't have both. You can be comfortable or you can be productive, but you cannot be both. See, there were times when I didn't want to get out of my bed. There were times when I didn't want to eat that salad. There were times when I didn't want to drink that water. But what I realized is I could either be comfortable or I could make progress. And I believe that today God wants us as a church to realize that he wants to shift us out of some areas of comfort. God wants us to begin making progress. But you see, church, in order to have what you've never had, you have to do what you've never done. And in order to go someplace that you've never been, you have to leave the place where you've always stayed. I want us to read our text is coming out of Deuteronomy chapter 1. Deuteronomy chapter 1. You can just follow the screen because I'm going to skip around a little bit and I don't want you to miss any of it. It's going to begin at verse 3. The Bible says, In the 40th year, on the first day of the 11th month, Moses proclaimed to the Israelites all that the Lord had commanded him concerning them. The Lord our God said to us at Horeb, You have stayed long enough at this mountain. Break camp and advance into the hill country of the Amorites. Go to all the neighboring peoples in the Arabah, in the mountains, in the western foothills, in the Negev, and along the coast, to the land of the Canaanites and to Lebanon, as far as the great river, the Euphrates. See, I have given you this land. Go in and take possession of the land the Lord swore he would give to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and to their descendants after them. But you were unwilling to go up. You rebelled against the command of the Lord, your God. You grumbled in your tents. You see, Mount Horeb is considered a holy place. There are some Bible scholars that have said Mount Horeb is the same as Mount Sinai. 
Sometimes mountains have two names, just like streets can have two names. So Mount Sinai, you'll remember, is the place where God gave Moses the Ten Commandments. It's considered a holy place. What we know for sure is that Mount Horeb is the place where God spoke to Moses out of the burning bush. And that was what launched Moses' leadership of the nation of Israel out of Egypt toward the Promised Land. We know that Mount Horeb was a holy place. We know that it was also chronicled as the last stop on the nation of Israel's 40-year wilderness journey from Egypt to Canaan. So Mount Horeb has an important place in history. But what we also have to know about Mount Horeb is that the very name Horeb means desert, solitude, destruction, mountain of the dried up ground. See, Mount Horeb was a desert, It was a dry place. It was barren. But in spite of being barren, it was God's miraculous provision that allowed the nation of Israel to dwell on Mount Horeb for almost a year before they walked into the promised land of Canaan. God provided them with food. He provided them with with water. He provided them with the basic necessities. And so because of that, they made this desert mountain a dwelling place. How many of you know that if you're not careful, you can become comfortable in a state in which you were not meant to stay? You can become satisfied with what was intended to just be transitional. You can make a home in the desert because you have just enough not to starve and die. You see, Mount Horeb was considered a safe place because it was a desert. People didn't come to Mount Horeb because it was deserted, it was desolate, it was isolated. So people didn't go to Mount Horeb and the Israelites liked it that way. They liked knowing that the mountain was theirs. They liked knowing that they could wake up in the morning and manna would be there for them. They liked it because it made them feel comfortable. But... Mount Horeb wasn't the promised land. See, God told the nation of Israel, he said, I have a land flowing with milk and honey for you. But the nation of Israel was comfortable on the desert mountain. I think it's careful, we have to be careful to realize that sometimes where you are is not where you're supposed to be. It's just a holding cell. And if we don't know the difference between the promise and the pathway to the promise, we will reject God's command to advance because of our personal comfort. I'm comfortable where I am. God said, you stayed here long enough. Well, I'm comfortable where I am. You have been here long enough. Break camp in advance. God is saying it's time to go. In 2019, open door, we had less then 20 people join our church. I was going to get real. Just, just hear what I'm saying. We had less than 20 people join our church, and that's out of 52 Sundays. So what that means is less than one person joined every Sunday. And there are many Sundays where we look around and the people here are familiar to us. We know them. We know everybody. We know their name. We've seen them over and over again. They're familiar to us. And so I have to ask the question, 
As we prepare to head into 2020, have we as a church become comfortable on Mount Horeb? Are we like the Israelites? We're comfortable in our tents that no outsiders visit. Have we become comfortable in a desert place? A place that God never told us to stay, but we've become comfortable because it ministers to us. Next year, Pastor Tim and I have been talking about this, and we want to make some changes because God has placed a vision in our heart for the promised land that is so big and so urgent that we know we're not going to get there by doing what we've always done because that's not going to take us where we've never been. Our church, our church was founded in 1976, 44 years ago, and do you know there are people within a stone's throw distance of our church that don't even know we're here? We know we're here, but they don't know we're here. So again, open door. Have we become comfortable in a desert place? I came to tell open door, just as God told Moses, we have been on this mountain long enough. It's time to break camp and advance. It's time to break camp. And there's two things, there's just two things I need you all to understand and put into practice as we prepare to break camp. The first thing is this, breaking camp requires breaking strongholds. See, what many of us fail to realize is that camp isn't just a home. Camp isn't just a place. Camp is an identity. See, when God told the nation of Israel to advance, part of the reason why they didn't want to move is because that camp had become their home. That camp had become their place of comfort. That camp had become that place of familiarity. So they didn't want to leave it. As a matter of fact, when uh, Moses had the 12 tribes send out spies to go check out the promised land, to look at Canaan, when, when they went to go survey the promised land, they came back and they corroborated what God said. They said, man, there is milk, there is honey, it is incredible. They said that land is good and it's bountiful. It is everything God said and more. We saw it with our own eyes, but 10 out of the 12 said, but the people are too big. We can't defeat them. In other words, we've never had to do that before. So how could we possibly be victorious? They said things like, it won't work. It's impossible. We don't have the resources. We don't have the volunteers. We don't have the equipment. It cannot be done. They were so focused on what they lacked that they didn't even realize that God had more than they could possibly need. But they were focused on what they had. We can't defeat them. You're right. You can't defeat them in your own power and your own resources. But this is why when God has called you to a place, you have to learn to rest in what he has called you to do and let him worry about the details. So you have these spies that say, it's not going to work. 
no, no, the promised land is great. We saw it, but there's no way we can get there. And God is saying, are you going to trust me or are you going to trust what you see? Because, see, I am the God that can change what you see because I control it all. Are you going to allow fear to shape your understanding of what I'm capable of? Have I lost my sovereignty? Have I lost my omnipotence? Have I lost my identity as God? If that answer is no, then you have to trust me and advance. You know, for us, we started, some of you may know that we started to uh, take groups of leaders to a leadership conference in Birmingham. And the reason why we've done that over the last couple of years is because Pastor Tim and I have known for the last few years where God wants to take us. But what we know is we can't get there by ourselves. We can cast vision all day long. We can say we're going to be a community of 5,000 disciples. We can say that all day long. But until that vision is activated in your heart, we won't move. So we started taking leaders to this leadership conference in Birmingham because we wanted to show them the promised land. We wanted them to spy it out. See what it looks like when a church is thriving and growing and and people are, are, are loving one another. And see what it looks like. Because there is no reason why that can't happen here. But the question that we have to consider is, is this going to be difficult? Yes. Yeah, it is. Is it going to make us uncomfortable? Oh, yes. Absolutely. But is it going to reap rewards? Yes. When we say advance open door, we need everybody to move, not just people with titles. I want to make that clear. Because sometimes we think that the people with the titles are the ones that need to move. But what you have to realize is we are a nation. See, we are a nation together and a nation moves together. So whether you have a title or not, we need you to advance. We need all of you with us. You're going to have some questions. But I'm going to tell you this right now, being completely honest. You're going to have some questions that we can't answer. You can go back to the last slide. We're going to have some questions that you're going to have questions we can't answer. And the reason we can't answer them is because we don't know the answers either. Amen. You're going to say, how, how much money is this going to take? I don't know. How many people do you need? I have no idea. How long is it going to take? I don't know. What God does is he gives you the vision and he asks, are you going to trust me to walk toward it? He doesn't say, hey, I'm going to give you the vision and I'm going to give you the blueprint with all the specifications and the dates and the times and the names. And no, God doesn't work that way. God says, I said, do this. The question is, are you going to respond? We're going to have to break strongholds in our minds in order to break camp. And I'm going to tell you the biggest stronghold we're going to have to break open door. The biggest stronghold is we're going to have to break the stronghold of what we believe open door is. Because see, right now, many of us believe open door is this building. We believe open door is this address. We believe open door is the place where we gather. But what I need you to understand is open door is you. Open door is me. Open door is us. 
open door is not this building. This building is simply the place where we gather. And the reason why I know this is a stronghold for us is because one of the things that we saw when we went to the leadership conference is we saw a ministry model that made so much sense, small groups. And when we came back, you remember a couple years ago, we came back and we said, okay, we're going to implement small groups. And the reason for small groups is church is not just what happens here at this building from 11 to 1230, okay? Church is what happens when we assemble together, wherever that may be. So we said, okay, we want to extend the reach of Open Door, us, out into the community. We want to launch small groups. And so we did that, but we noticed that initially almost every small group was meeting at the building. Because we think that this is the church. So almost all the small groups were meeting at the building. When we were looking at the list of people, the members of the small groups, they were almost all open door members. So what we realized is, okay, people are thinking that small groups are for, by, and about us. When in fact, the point of small groups is to take the gospel out. I want to play a clip. If you have that clip ready, uh, Mark, I want to play a clip just so you can see the reason why small groups matter so much. Do you have that ready? Get the sound going. You can pause it. That day at the coffee shop. Your life began to radically change, very unexpected for you. Tell us about that day. Well, I'm in Los Angeles, and with my best friend, and no one talked about God. It was assumed that God didn't exist. Back. Sorry, everybody. <laughs> Just go back to the very beginning. I want to make sure you know who he is. Back at Welcome to the Program. Thank you, Andrew. The book's phenomenal. Thank you so much. Really, really terrific. Thank you. Um, I want to start that day at the coffee shop. Your life began to radically change, very unexpected for you. Tell us about that day. Well, I was in a coffee shop in Los Angeles and with my best friend, and we noticed a table next to us with Bibles on the table. We, I had never seen a Bible in public in L.A. Seriously? In, in 15, 20 years, or 15 years. Wow. I had never seen a Bible. None of my friends, we never talked about God ever once. No one talked about God. It was assumed that God didn't exist and that it was all a fairy tale. So we saw these Bibles. My friend loved to kind of stir up conversation, and so he urged me to talk, start talking to this group of people. So I turned around, and I just said, are you guys Christians? Like, what's the deal with the Bibles? <laughs> and they, they were like, yeah. And I said, well, what do you believe? Because I, you know, I, grew, I was raised Catholic. I don't even remember what what the gospel is. I don't know what religion is. Like, tell me what you believe. Oh, they're probably loving it, right? I know. It's, like a, it's right. like a Christian's fantasy of, you know, a question. Um, and so they explained the gospel. They explained what they believed. And then I got to the $64,000 question after the, near the end of our conversation. And I said, well, what does your church in Hollywood believe about homosexuality? And they said, well, we believe it's a sin. And and what's interesting is I just kind of accepted that. I didn't protest. I didn't, I wasn't upset. I just kind of was, I was actually, I liked how honest they were. And they didn't beat around the bush. They were just very open and frank about it. And so I, they invited me to church, to their church the following Sunday. And I was like, well, I don't know if I'm going to do that, but I'll think about it. 
Well, how did you, did you struggle with that decision? Or? I did. I had a week to, to mull it over, and I was like, should I do this? I don't know. And at that point in my life, I was open because I had kind of done everything, been everywhere, did, you know, traveled the world, done all these fun things, and it wasn't satisfying me anymore. And I, so I was open to something else, mm. and I wasn't sure. And, I, you know, of course, I wanted to know the meaning of life. And so... I spent the week thinking about it, and then the following Sunday, I woke up and I said to myself, self, I said, am I going to do this? <laughs> and I just like, was like, yeah, I'm just going to do it. And I got dressed, got in my car, and drove to this church in Hollywood. You were a little nervous? I wasn't nervous. I, I, I was more, um, I just was kind of full of sort of expectation, I guess. I wasn't nervous, but... Uh, as soon as I walked into the church, it's in an auditorium in, in a high school, I, I heard Christian worship music. And I forgot, I forgot Christian music existed. And so when I heard the music, I was like, oh, gosh, Christian music. Because it had been satirized so much on different TV shows. And like, so I was just like, oh, no. And then I was like, wait a minute. It's not bad. Actually, it's good. And and then I found my seat near the front of the the church and wow went right up front. I went up front and I just and I, the p- people who invited me I didn't see them. I just I don't know where they were, but I just walked up and sat by myself. And then the pastor came out and started preaching on Romans chapter seven. And while he was preaching for an hour, and while he was preaching, everything. It suddenly started shifting in me. And I, it was weird because I, I didn't know what was going on, but everything he was saying, every word he was saying, every sentence he was saying was resonating as truth in me, in my mind, my heart. And I was like, this is the gospel? Like it would, What he was saying about the gospel was turning everything I thought religion was on its head. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is the gospel. And... Um, it was really, I was on the edge of my seat the whole time. I, could, I didn't want him to stop preaching. Wow. And then he left the stay, he left the, po- the pulpit, and he had invited people to get prayed for on the side of the church during the second part of worship, which was lasted 30 minutes. And so I was, there was you know, a guy over on the side of the church, and I was like, should I go over there and ask for prayer? And if I do, it's humiliating. And what if, mm. what if this is all wrong? And what if it's all fake? And... And so I went over, and this guy, I said, you know, I don't know what I believe, but I'm here. And this guy was like, well, let me pray for you. And he laid his hands on me, which was weird. And then he started praying, and I I just, the prayer seemed so intense and so powerful. And I, I remember thinking, how does this straight dude love me so much? Because the prayer was so full of love. And, and then I thanked him after the prayer. I went back to my seat. And I was processing the prayer, the sermon, the, the worship music, which was still going on for another 25 minutes. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit just like overwhelmed me. It was like Paul on the road to Damascus kind of thing. It was like, and I, God was like, I'm God, and Jesus is my son, and you are now adopted into my kingdom. 
And I was like, whoa. And it was like Isaiah in the temple when he sees the holiness of God. All right, we can he comes undone. <laughs> and I just came undone. I started bawling uncontrollably. for the. Amen. So this man exemplifies millions of people, even hundreds and thousands of people right here in Gainesville who are not going to walk through those doors, but who are in coffee shops, who are at restaurants, playing games at rec centers, who still need to hear the good news of Jesus. And this is why, this is why, he is why we implemented small groups. It's not just for us. We know where we're going, right? But it's not enough for us to just know where we're going. We are called to a lost and dying world. So we have to break the stronghold that this is open door. Open door is wherever you are, wherever I am, and wherever we take the good news of Jesus Christ. We're going to need to confront this stronghold as a church going into 2020 because I'm telling y'all, there are some things that we have in our heart to do that's going to radically change what we're comfortable doing. But the reason for it, I was driving down 8th this morning, and I don't know if you noticed, but I was driving down and I saw all these young people just hanging out, riding bikes. I saw men gathered together just around cars, just talking. I'm thinking to myself, how can we be comfortable driving past them? Our church has been placed here in this community to be a light to this community, but we cannot be a light if we're under the bushel of this building. God has called us out. Second point, quickly. So we know that breaking camp requires breaking strongholds, but secondly, reaching the promise is going to require making progress. Right now in America, there's over 350,000 churches. I don't know if you've noticed, but if you just drive around within this community, there are churches everywhere. There's a church literally on every single block. But two out of three churches are declining in attendance in America. Two out of three. But that means one out of three are growing. So there are churches that are growing. There are churches that are thriving they're launching new campuses and adding new service times because they can't contain the growth. But you see, Mount Horeb was a desert. There was no growth there. There was nothing happening on Mount Horeb because the Israelites were just comfortable on Mount Horeb. So they didn't invite people in. They weren't having potlucks with area people. They were just comfortable on Mount Horeb. That's why it didn't grow. Amen. So we're going to have to begin to question ourselves and begin to make progress. You see, if people didn't bring enough water with them to Mount Horeb, they would die. But nobody should have to bring water with them to church. Amen. Nobody should have to bring life and energy and excitement to church because they should know that when they come here, they're going to find living water. Amen. They're going to find life. They're going to find revitalization. Remember, people, you can have comfort or you can have progress, but you can't have both. And the promise requires progress. It requires every single one of us being willing to shift out of our comfort zone so that we can begin to walk into what God is calling us to, recognizing that we've never been there before. But that's okay. 
Because going where we've never been requires leaving where we've always stayed. We want to get to the point as a church where half of our small group members are not members of Open Door. We want to get to the point as a church where our small groups are meeting in rec centers and they're meeting at restaurants and coffee shops where people are able to see people publicly displaying the good news of Jesus Christ, where people are able to see the Bible on display. That's where we want to go as a church. And I'll tell you this also, in 2020, we want to become known as a radically generous church. The type of church that generously and and just lavishly gives of our time, our talent, and our treasures to anybody who needs to know that God is still in the blessing business, that Jesus is still on the throne, that salvation is still possible. We want to give irrationally. Do you realize that if everybody in this room right now committed next year to leading a small group with your family, your friends, your coworkers, at least 10 people who don't attend this church, if you committed to doing that, this church would grow by 10 times immediately. And the reason for that is this building isn't the church. You are. So every single life that you're touching through the ministry that God has placed within you is extending the reach of this church. That is the vision that God has placed into our heart. But Moses said, you were unwilling to go up. You rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. You grumbled in your tents. We can't become known for anything if we're spending all of our time in the tents. God is calling us to make progress in Jesus' name. The last scripture I want to leave you with is this. The Apostle Paul said, Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. I was told that many years ago, You couldn't fit another child in children's church in the fellowship hall. I was told many years ago that they had to bring chairs in and line them up along the aisles because the pews were so packed and overflowing that there was nowhere for people to sit. I was told that years ago people would dance around the church, in the aisles, up on the platform, all over the place, just exuberantly praising God. I was told that this happened years ago, but I came to tell you today that it's going to happen again. Because God is going to revive this church in 2020. Hear me when I tell you, God has already placed this vision in Pastor Tim in my heart, and it's going to happen, but we need all of you. We need all of you to plug in and know that when we say advance, let's go. Do you have questions? Yes, we do too. Do we have all the resources? Probably not, but God does. We just have to be obedient and be willing to surrender our will to the Holy Spirit's control. The question I have for you, Open Door, as I close is this. What tents need to come down in your heart in order for us to make progress on the vision God has for this church? What are the things that if we changed them, you would leave? And let me ask you this. Of those things, how many people are getting saved because of them? I want you to get that in your mind because in 2020, 
we want to break camp. We want to take down all the tents. And let me tell you this. We don't plan to take tent poles into the promised land. Mm -mm. God wants to do a new thing with this church. I see in my heart, in my mind, I see multiple locations. In my heart, in my mind, I see multiple service times. In my heart, in my mind, I see us walking into the school board meeting with a check for $1 million in order to invest in the education of students in East Gainesville. I see that. I see it happening. But it cannot happen on Mount Horeb. Mount Horeb is dry. It's desolate. It's completely unproductive. It's, it's worthless because nothing can grow on Mount Horeb. So we've got to break camp and advance. Every head bowed, every eye closed. God, I came and said what you told me to say. I pray, Father, that our hearts would be stirred. I pray, God, that conviction would rest in our hearts today, God, to check ourselves and see, Lord, are there tents set up? in our heart that we're unwilling to move may we not rebel against you God but may we be willing to break camp today we do not want to walk into 2020 with the same attitudes we don't want to walk into 2020 God with the same perceptions God we want to walk into 2020 ready to move whenever you say move because you have promised a land flowing with milk and honey eyes have not seen ears have not heard neither has it entered into the mind of man what God has in store God we thank you Lord for what you're going to do